2020. What will this new year bring? Well, I am a socialist and therefore do not make predictions. Sorry to disappoint you, but change is a constant, if not always apparent to all of us all the time. The universe is exceedingly dynamic. Us socialists are scientists who use Marxism to interpret the world in order to bring the workers and oppressed people of the world to power. In 2019, new movements have arisen as capitalism and the U.S. dominance have come under increasing scrutiny. That's true. But the chains that continue to bind us to the global imperialist, racist, and planet-destroying world order are still there. They are still very much with us, but we should take great hope in the restiveness of the masses and the youth and use that to fuel all of our efforts. You should get involved if you're not. You should get active if you're not. You should be a part of the movement in 2020 and beyond. You should join mass action on the streets fighting for peace, justice, and the revitalized planet that we all deserve and are going to get. This is Mass Action Podcast. Revolutionary socialist propaganda to save the planet, smash white supremacy, and stop World War III. This is John Beecham, your host. On this episode, we talk with Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa, editor of the Orinoco Tribune, and a former Venezuelan diplomat to the United States of America. We discuss 2019, Latin America, Russia, the movement in the United States, and the hope for the planet, and more. But before we get to the interview with Jesus, I wanted to talk to you. Mass action needs patrons because mass action needs to be heard by more and more people. News sources, view sources like this, propaganda sources like this must be propagated as far and wide as possible. Not just mass action, of course, but the future of the human race and the planet depends on people getting the views they need in order to take power over our lives over our lives and change the situation that we find ourselves in so become a patron right now by going to patreon.com slash mass action you can become a patron for as little as two dollars uh, you can uh, be a patron for a month ten dollars a month or more and you'll get patreon patron exclusive content Seriously, take this very serious. Become a patron yourself. Invite others to become a patron because revolutions don't happen on their own. Sources like this that help build a revolution don't happen on their own. We need to support each other. I need your support. Please, again, become a patron now. Patreon.com slash mass action. Thank you very much. And here comes the interview. Do 
Joining Mass Action Now live from Caracas, Venezuela is Jesus Rodriguez Espinoza, the editor of the Orinoco Tribune and a former uh, diplomat from Venezuela to the city of Chicago. How are you doing, Jesus? How are, How are you? Doing? Thank you for inviting me. I'm good. I'm getting over a cold that we all have in Chicago, and hopefully I don't cough too much during this interview. But besides that, I, I'm pretty optimistic. Every new year renews my hope in, in, in the people because I have no choice. Because that's yes, what we do. Yes. Right? We, we do here. We yeah. do here. This. What yeah. you have to, that's what you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking before we got, we got on, and um, I think we wanted to start with uh, perhaps any updates from the situation in Bolivia and the situation with Eva Morales. Why don't you go ahead, Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I first want to highlight like the main, just uh, from our perspective here in Caracas, uh, from Caracas, uh, the main event in Latin America this year. I mean, at least from our perspective, uh, I believe that the first half of 2019 uh, uh, from uh, a Caracas perspective was mostly based on uh, Juan Guaido and uh, Trump's attempt to overthrow President Maduro. So if you ask me, like half of the year for us here in Venezuela uh, was spent in trying to deal and resist and defeat that aggression. Which, which, but the which, wait, wait, half, hey, Zeus, which you all have done. We should know yes. before you go on. We, so far, we've done that, right? You've done that. The people there have. Yes. Yes. Yes, of course. Of course. I believe, I mean, uh, our impression here in, uh, in Venezuela is, uh, at least from a visa perspective, is that we have defeated that attempt. Of course, uh, we know that uh, that doesn't mean that uh, new attempts won't happen. I mean, uh, or a continuation or escalation, which is what we are expecting for 2020, an escalation uh, from uh, the U.S. trying to uh, keep pushing regime change in Venezuela. But we are kind of learning. I mean, uh, uh, the first semester of 2019 was tough for us because we were not used to be sanctioned or and almost blockaded by the U.S., but we have been learning how to, you know, live with that and how to counter uh, all any kind of unconventional warfare that is launched by the U.S. Because talking about Juan Guaido is like a waste of time because basically uh, uh, we are not dealing with him. We know that we are dealing with the guys in Washington D.C. So anyway, I mean, uh, that was like half of the year for us was mostly dealing with that. And then like the second half of the year has been like uh, trying to uh, deal with all these political changes all over the region. I mean, uh, the, we first start with uh, the crisis in Peru, the constitutional crisis, the, the, the problem between the, the National Assembly in Peru and, uh, and the executive branch. And then a few days later, we started with, uh, with the uh, mass rebellion uh, in Ecuador against the IMF and Lenin Moreno, which uh, was like kind of exciting for us because we see Lenin Moreno as much of the people in the left as a traitor. 
So uh, we were inspired on those events, and we were hoping that they might get rid of him. But he managed to uh, uh, to lower ease the tension. And if you ask me, I believe that it's a big. Uh, I mean, in a big part is caused. I mean, it was caused by Konai. Uh, I mean, this big humongous Equatorian movement that signed these agreements with Lenin Moreno, uh, which uh, kind of eased the tension in Ecuador. But we we talk about an easing of tension because we believe that eventually, and actually in recent days, there has been signs that things are starting to get like tense in Ecuador. Uh, we believe that uh, that easing of the tension in, in Ecuador is going to explode in any moment. And then we uh, saw the victory of uh, Alberto Fernandez in Argentina, which was nice. But on the other side, we saw the victory of this guy in El Salvador that took the guys from the FMLN uh, out of power, and a few days after that, uh, we witnessed the coup d'etat in Bolivia, which is what you asked me for. So basically, uh, it was it caught us by surprise. Actually, the last time we had a conversation, uh, I was. Oh uh, wait, like wait! Don't don't more... remind everybody! Don't remind everybody! <laughs> <laughs> we were like, "There's no way they're yes. gonna, there's no way they're going to overthrow you. Yes. There's no way." Yes, that, that's sad. I was thinking that, okay, we were going to be able to, because we leftists, we don't, uh, we usually try to be optimistic and, and we don't uh, see the bad things that the right is capable of doing. Well, so Jesus, we, uh, Jesus well, let me say yes. this. Let me say this. In our, in our uh, sort of defense, um, Evo Morales has not been completely defeated. He's in Argentina, I believe. Today he's marching in the streets, that's and, true, the people, that's true. and the people are marching with yeah. him. He's, mar he's marching in defense of, uh, of 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 the of the of the mothers of victims, right? Um, yes, yeah, well, Plaza de Mayo, and, and, yeah, and, and, and Moss is still Moss is still on the ground, and, and parts of Cochabamba, I believe, have, have been basically become uh, yes. the center of dual power. Now, of course, it's yes, a very yes. it's it's not a good situation. It's not a situation any of us would have wanted. But I think it, yes. it, there is, and there is an article on mass action about this, and uh, in, in the intercept interview, I believe there is reason still for optimism, and that we weren't like so far off. We were like, we, I think the main thing that we were thinking was is that the people's movement and Avo's popularity is so strong that it'd be very difficult yes. to remove him. Yeah, I think and that we were first thinking part about elections, true. about the constitutional framework, when we were talking about the situation in Bolivia the last time, but we were not expecting like the right wing move uh, out of the constitution, and we didn't took that into account when we last talked, uh, and that's what uh, took Evo out of power. But I'm like, I think like you, I, I see what might happen in Bolivia in an optimistic way, not because. The regime that is there uh, is not willing to do everything to remain in power. Uh, but I believe that because uh, the strain of Evo Morales is 
big, it's humongous, but also because the regime, the Janine Agnes regime, is very torpe, we say it in Spanish. It's like, uh, they are like an elephant in the in a in a museum museum of you know glass or something like right, that. Right. I don't know how to say it in English. I mean, they are very. I mean, they commit a lot of mistakes out of arrogance, out of fascism, and I believe that that's gonna be their uh, one of the main causes for them to to go out of power. Uh, you can see it. I mean, you can see it very clear with this situation, with uh, with the Mexican embassy, for example. I mean, they try. They are they they are thinking that they can behave like the British, not giving a permit to Assange to exit to Ecuador. That's like a, a kind of a similarity between what is happening in the Mexican embassy in Bolivia right now with the guys there seeking mm -hmm. asylum from Mexico and the Bolivian government not willing to give them permits to exit uh, Bolivia. I mean, uh, and, and you can expect like the UK, which is uh, an old imperial power, uh, able and, and NATO member to be able to do that. But for a country like Bolivia, I mean, that's like a very, uh, of course, they should be following uh, Washington direct direction in that sense, but I mean, uh, that kind of decision uh, based on, uh, I don't know how to say it, but uh, those are mistakes that are going, from my perspective, to take them faster out of power. Yeah, well, I don't think the coup leaders in Bolivia are in the strongest position of any coup leaders in the history. I mean, I think they might be in a, the weakest position a coup has ever been in Latin America. That doesn't make it undangerous. And of course, they have the backing of the United States and, as you mentioned, Britain. Um, and you didn't mention, when you went through the list of countries, you didn't mention everything, of course. Um, we didn't mention yeah. Nicaragua and we didn't mention Chile, where there are protests that are ongoing. As yeah, we, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. As we are recording this, so there really is a lot going on in Latin America. And there's a lot going on yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a there is a lot. I mean, it's almost hard, too hard to follow. I mean, for myself, one person, it's almost impossible to follow yeah. Uh, yeah. everything that's going on. I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't even addressed the uh, strikes in France, for example, or the vote in the United Kingdom, for example, or uh, yeah. the big pro or the big protest in Lebanon on in Iraq. Yeah. That's the way they, yeah. the, the president, the prime minister, resigned. So there are too many events happening uh, right now, not only in Latin America, but really mm -hmm. uh, in recent history, at least my, my in, in my memory, right. um, this has been a year with the most, I mean, with, I don't know how to say it. I mean, with, uh, with revolts all over the world. Yeah. To say it easily. Yes. And the extreme right and the extreme left and the left and the right conservatives. I mean, they've all become more pronounced. Uh, the the quote-unquote center of politics or the, the stable center of politics really, uh, even though there's not great enough tumult to really um, challenge U.S. imperialism, the extent to yeah. of the of the activity is definitely 
not in their stable wheelhouse right now. And we didn't even mention India, the, ma- the massive protests uh-huh. there against the against the Muslim ban there. Yes, what is happening in India is important to you. That's true. And but one of one thing that uh, that came to my mind when you were just talking is that the U.S. has been learning, and that's not good, how to take advantage of this kind of unrest and use it in their favor. Sure. Which is something that we in the left. Uh, I have not been able to explode enough. I mean, we from Venezuela have been trying to do something like to put our perspective on on, on what we uh, want to be the outcome in Ecuador, for example, or Bolivia or Chile. We have been very clear about that, which is nice. But I believe that I I don't know, but that's my that's my impression that that we in the left have not been able to uh yes yeah to use that energy to you know provoke a real change yes i think historically um this is it makes sense the quote-unquote left or um the socialists uh are are, and and the, the workers and oppressed people of the world are usually usually behind in terms of strategies and tactics when it comes to these big global um, confrontations. And of course, the the confrontation is global. It's not a local one or a regional one or a national one. In general, the struggle is is global. And for workers and oppressed people to grasp that is in some ways more difficult, although necessary, and I believe eminently possible, than it is for, for example, the people who have power. I mean, the people who have power are thinking strategically. Uh, the people who have power yeah. in Washington and the Pentagon are thinking strategically in their interest, and they are seeking to to manipulate these situations. But I, I will I mean, not really disagree with you. But I think when it comes to real big conflicts like this, they don't necessarily hold all the cards in their hands because they make up such a tiny minority of the planet. And once, it, once the conflict starts to escalate and rise, the amount of people whose interest in the conflict is contrary to theirs is astronomically more than theirs. Um, so yeah. I think that that is what we're seeing. I think what we're exactly seeing, and of course it's coming from the right and the left, but we're seeing an explosion from really the streets, from below. These are not things directed by you or I mostly. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they're not. Absolutely yes, not. And, and that's what we are seeing in Bolivia, for example. Yeah. Well, you know, what's missing is in my, you know, the, the thing that's missing and is always lagging, I think, in struggles like this is just the organization. Um, and I think yes. the re-realization that um, the people of the planet need to have power and we need to have organizations that um, take power. I think the situation in Venezuela shows that where you have a leadership that has checked off, for lack of a better word, more of the boxes in terms of holding on to power, arming the people, um, the different um, uh, social programs going on that are physically empowering people, that are run by people, um, making yeah. you know concrete, concrete things like that in terms of like, how do we face off, how can we protect our borders? Like, how did Venezuela protect its borders, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that's absolutely true, yeah. Yeah, how do we feed the population? Uh, and th- that, I think that's our task. That's what our vision has has to be. And of course, 
um, it has to be one of much more international coordination than it is now yes, yes, happening. Exactly what we need. I believe that we have been trying, for example, with Foro de Sao Paulo uh, that was held this year here in Venezuela. I mean, there is a lot of, I mean, actually it has been used by the right to satanize Venezuela, uh, what happened here with the Foro de Sao Paulo and all the different international forums that have been held here in Caracas as a result of the Sao Paulo Forum. Uh, so uh, I believe that we are seeking for that kind of integration, but it's not easy because, I mean, as, as in the U.S., that the movement is diverse and sometimes too competitive, uh, that happened also in Latin America. So uh, so it's hard, but it's, I, if you ask me, I'm optimistic. I have the impression that it's somehow happening, it's moving forward. And, and that's a good thing, at least uh, from my perspective. And also it's true what you say about uh, here in Venezuela, we uh, being able to, to, to have a, a resilience to face the U.S. aggression. Uh, and that organization is the key for, for our resilience, if you ask me. Because, I mean, the, 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 the situation in Venezuela at the beginning of 2019 was complicated. And I believe that it's still complicated, but we have been able to resist that. And it's based on, as you say, in, 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 in the programs, based on the grassroots levels, like communes, like the militia, for example. And mm -hmm. when we were talk about, when we talk about the first semester of this year, uh, the, one of the first things that comes to my mind is that uh, for humanitarian, between quotations, entry of uh, humanitarian aid entry uh, by force to Venezuela in February. And during those days, uh, grassroots organizations and militia people coordinate themselves and, and a lot of Venezuelans went uh, to the border disregarding the military presence there to face any kind of aggression. And that's something that we haven't talked too much about, but uh, it's a fact that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people yeah. should know that. I mean, people yeah. should, there, there, are, there are very concrete things about the Venezuelan situation, for example, compared to the Bolivian situation that people really need to learn from. Um, yes, and to compare. Yes, yes, and try to take lessons out of that. That's true. Uh, well, hmm. I wanted us to talk to Russia about Russia, not to Russia, but about Russia. It seems like kind of a uh, there's no really good way to segue to it. So I'm just going to say, what's on my mind at the end of the year? There's a lot of things, but one of the things is the extent to which the anti-Russia the chauvinist propaganda here in the United States uh, has really become pretty severe. I mean, it's been happening for years and it's escalated over the last two years, but I believe it was on Christmas day, the New York times ran a headline. They changed it later. Uh, I wish I personally had a screenshot, but it said it's Putin's world and we're all just living in it. You know, the idea, no, no. I mean, the idea that Putin is the devil and that the 70% of the Russian population who support him for different reasons, of course, some because they believe he is a strong person defending Russia, you know, others believe that he's standing in the way of a war and he's helping out the international situation and his role as a good one in the world. 
I mean, if you go to Russia, they sell they sell commemorative plates of um, Assad, the leader of Syria, and Putin together. I mean, and they're popular plates that people people buy. And to, again, to say that those to seventy percent of the population of Russia that 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 uh, that that uh, are, are in favor of Putin being president or being the leader of the country are just brainwashed. Uh, is That's true. You know, it's it's just it's so Russophobic. And if the people of the United States are won over to that, continue to be won over that propaganda. I mean, that's not good for the rest of the people of the world. Uh, confrontation with Russia and the United States is not good. And frankly, you know, people here in the United States have a hard time grasping their own country. The, the fact that it is the United States that's the aggressor in the situation. It's the United States that's piling on the sanctions and vilifying the whole country and painting Russians with a broad uh, stroke as the menace, you know, the Russian menace and China too. But, um, you know, I guess the Russia thing is to me, seems a little more prevalent with the whole impeachment thing and how Russia's come up and everything. That's true. I mean, and talking about Bolivia, for example, and, and, and things that Evo Morales has been saying about the reasons behind the cop, he always mentioned the lithium thing. Right, right, and 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 there are some evidence that China, for example, was going to be one of the main, I mean, the winner of that uh, strategy sure. that Evo Morales has in you know a rational exploitation of the lithium, and of course the gringos didn't want that to happen. I, I'm introducing China there because it's like I mean it takes us back to the issue of who controls the resources, and 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 and. And for example, here in Venezuela, if you ask me, I, I studied in the Soviet Union in the 80s, so I, I kind of uh, have a, a, a sympathy for Russia from always. Uh, and I believe really, I, I, I have an appreciation of Vladimir Putin in the way he has been changed, the way uh, Russia is, if you compare it with, with what Yeltsin did, for example. Right. So, uh, but we have not to be naive enough to think that, I mean, those countries have their interests and that's absolutely normal. Each country or right. every country have their own interests. Uh, but what I'm trying to tell you here is that, um, for example, here in Venezuela, if you ask me, I admire the way China and Russia has been supporting Venezuela in front of the U.S. aggression. And I believe that their support has been key also uh, to our success. And we have to say that because sometimes we tend to forget that kind of, I mean, imagine what might happen in, the, in those uh, Security Council meetings early this year without the support of China and Russia. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, that, happened, that has been happening in other, in other global events. Uh, and, and, and what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, those countries have been key to Venezuela, uh, but as many, I mean, there's a lot of attacks uh, from the right wingers saying that China and Venezuela control, I mean, I mean China and Russia control uh, Maduro's government and that they control the military, especially when talking about Russia. Uh, and... Uh, and I always say, listen, guys, those guys do not control anything. I mean, those guys are here because we invite them because of the strategic reasons. We 
are about to be invaded by the U.S. I'm talking about early this right. year, and we have the the absolute right to ask allies to come here to help us. So one one thing is that you ask for a country that is your ally to help you in military issues or diplomatic right. issues, and another right. thing is to uh. Uh, to be a colony of the U.S. forever, like most of the countries in Latin America. But anyway, going back to your question about Russia, I believe that uh, that uh, you are right. I mean, the Russophobia has been increasing, not only in the U.S., I believe that here, I feel it here in Latin America. I mean, uh, basically because of U.S. media corporation has been spreading uh, that kind of Russophobia Russophobia all over Latin America too. If you ask me, I believe that we are not a, 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 in comparison to the U.S. Like we have the bombarding of that kind of narrative, like in 25 percent of what happened in the U.S. But anyway, it has been uh -huh. increasing in recent months, and uh, and that's the result of U.S. strategy to take russia and china out of uh what right. they think is their backyard and that takes us to the reverse or re revive of the monroe doctrine and that kind of you know thing yeah i mean in uh in europe the russophobia has been uh, uh escalating as well it, it was you know um <clears throat> they painted the media in the uk painted corbyn just recently as a russian agent mm -hmm. I mean, they've also red baited him quite a bit, you know, and associated him with the uh, with the, the Soviet Union. If you, you said a lot there, um, and I don't know how much, we don't have like forever because it is a yeah. it is a, a medium that you know doesn't. I mean, we can't talk for three yeah, hours. I wish, I, I wish yeah. we could. Yeah, I mean Venezuela, of course, right? Where were they? Where are they going to get the weapons or even some of the food or medical aid? Where are they going to get the loans? That China has put forward to Venezuela. I mean, yeah. if it's very, very important for us um, revolutionaries, for lack of a better word, to 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 be material about things. Um, there's always hard choices, and there's always, always hard choices in the struggle. And I think Russia and China, if you just look at a historical perspective, would prefer not to be as adversarial to the United States as they are being. Um, I think what has happened is both Russia and China, after years of trying to figure out a way to both work with the United States and survive against U.S. assaults, have been forced, I, I mean, I'll be honest, been forced just by the way the U.S. is acting in the world, acting in Asia, acting like the Pacific Ocean is theirs, acting like the coast, the coast of China is theirs to patrol. Acting like that yeah, on the on the you know setting up missile batteries and carrying out uh, invasions mock invasions of Russia on the borders of Russia, and all the sanctions and everything else that has happened. The new foreign policy doctrine of the United States to prepare for a war with Russia and China. I mean, I think Russia and China, and I think the leadership of Russia and China are smarter in way in a way than the leadership of the United States. And are looking and are not yes, looking absolutely. to dominate the rest of the world the way the United States is. I mean, I think the leadership of Russia and China are actually yes. looking to live in a multilateral world. Um, and it wasn't too long. It wasn't that long ago that China's foreign policy actually wasn't that helpful to the rest of the people of the world. They were looking mostly to rely on themselves. 
And, you know, there are always inconsistencies in the Soviet Union's foreign policy and, and in Russia's foreign policy. There still there still will be. We, we need to be honest because of the struggle is yeah. dynamic. There will always be inconsist- inconsistencies and contradictions based on the fact that China still really is looking to primarily survive and develop its own country. And that Russia, the same, is trying to, to come back from the collapse of the Soviet Union and a decade-long onslaught of U.S. corporations and British and European corporations and the CIA and the Pentagon to literally bring Russia to its knees, which was thwarted, and it was thwarted by Putin. One of the biggest reasons Vladimir Putin is popular in Russia is because he, he literally did save Russia from being completely brought to its knees by the United States and Britain. Um, so that, that's the, the, those are my responses. I mean, there's much more to talk about. Maybe we should even talk but about me, this more. Me, but go ahead. No, I want you to why, to. why don't you just uh, you finish you finish us off here? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I just wanted to add that I forgot to mention that when I was talking about my sympathy uh, to Russia, for example, uh, when I've been inquired by right wingers to say what I think about Russia, I told them what I told you a few minutes ago. But I usually told them, the right-wingers, that in the case Russia or China change their mind and they start behaving like imperial powers because there's a lot of, especially among the left, okay, okay, yes, because sometimes, I mean, the left, uh, of the left present you uh, that this kind of competition, imperial competition between the U.S., China, and Russia, and uh, and what I always let those right wingers know is that if they, if China and Russia start behaving like imperial powers with Venezuela, we are gonna stop being allied with them, and that's it. And we will try to find another allies anywhere. I mean, we want to allow any country, because sometimes they say that we are a colony of Russia or China, especially Russia, and, and, and I told them, listen, and that's absolutely uh, false. I mean, we are not a colony of anyone, and we are here because we don't want to be colony of no one. I mean, uh, and yes. that's something that I just wanted to add to what you say, because sometimes people got a, a misconception about how Venezuelans like me the uh, Russia's and China's involvement in our, you know, right, right. Fight. Well, let me say this: today, India, Russia, and China are carrying out naval exercises together. Yeah, uh, yeah that's in, cool. <laughs> in the Indian Ocean, and look, why that is happening is because those countries need friends. I mean, Russia and China have had their pro- historical problems yeah. getting along. They've been yeah. they're very serious yeah. problems. Um, but I think the situation in the United States is the United States doesn't need friends. They need people to dominate and subordinate and oppress in order to maintain their dominance of the world. Russia and China and Iran and other countries, they need friends. I mean, India needs friends, too. I mean, India is much more friendly with the United States, for example, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But most of the rest of the countries in the world need friends. I mean, even the European powers have decided they are going to be friends with the United States in order to be part of a junior partners on the imperial establishment. That's really why at the end of the day, for me, the enemy is U.S. imperialism. I know it sounds too straightforward and too simplistic, but that really has to be the starting point. 
for the people of the world, for workers here in the United States and working people all over the world, there is one country that seeks to rob and plunder and steal and have all the wealth of the world go into their coffers and they back it up with their military might and all their machinations. Um, as complex as complex as the world struggle is, to me, that is, I, I will just, I will say it. It's like the starting point. And that for myself as a, as a worker, as a revolutionary, like the number one thing on the agenda is to impose imperialism and of course, racism here in the United States. I mean, those, that's what it means to oppose capitalism. And as hard as it is to swim uphill against the Russian propaganda for the sake of anti-Russian propaganda, for sake of workers here and oppressed people here, I mean, it has to be combated because it's gonna be used against us uh, it's, you know, the preparations for it to be used against us are much more part of, even though, like, they are using it against us and distracting us and making it so that we don't have a movement because we're all worried about Trump and Putin. But at the end of the day, it's keyed up. And it's, this is historically accurate, I believe. It's keyed up to be used against the movements here because people still have the same aspirations and people are moving into a different frame of mind here. They want more. They want the situations to be solved. They're tired of listening to the, poli- you know, they're tired of listening to the same old, you know, establishment politicians. So that desire still exists. So there will be, there has to be a movement. And that movement has to be, at least by some of us, shielded from the, from that sort of Russophobic propaganda that's leading us nowhere good. I believe that part of the problem, at least in the U.S., is that I mean, U.S. citizens still believe in the media. I believe that that has been changing in recent months or years, but I believe that the U.S. need like a shock. Right now, for example, in Bolivia, because of the coup, a lot of Bolivians are realizing uh, what interest the media defend. And mm-hmm. they right now hate the media according to all reports that I have read. So what I'm trying to tell you is that sometimes there are, you know, uh, crucial uh, moments in in a country's history in which people realize who's their enemy. I I mean, uh, who is the enemy? And I believe that in the U.S. that haven't happened yet. And that's part of the problem because a lot of people believe that what Fox, CNN, uh, Reuters, uh, Washington Post, the New York Times, Say and and that's the problem. Yeah, I or I, at least a big chunk of the problem. Oh, it is a it is a problem, and it has to be overcome. And you know, before it's overcome, it's it would be obvious, it would be reasonable for people to be like, it's not going to be overcome. But it's the thing that has to be overcome, and it's in the people's interest here to overcome it because the media the media is is an enemy of the people. The media is oppressing the people with its lies and misinformation. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I'll give you an example. Like the, the Iraq war. I mean, people were for it. I mean, people were waving American flags. They, want, they wanted the bombs to drop. People were, were cheering when the bombs were dropping. And if you, and, if you yeah. were against that, they yeah. crucify you. Yeah. Well, there was a huge movement here against the Iraq war, right? Because people were confused. Yeah, and, pe- and people were like, why are we going to war? You know, the people didn't understand really why, even though there was the propaganda, 
There was millions of people who were like, why are we going to war? And because there was a move, because there was a movement in the streets that people visibly saw and people sticking their neck out and saying, no, this war is incorrect. This war is wrong. It's not good for anybody. Right. And we were even saying, especially for the Iraqi people. Um, and especially yes, for the region. People organizing, yeah. I, I understand yeah. what you're saying, because people organizing and putting pressure might change a bit the, 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 the trend yeah. of the media yeah. methods. That's important, I know. And, and, and then what happened? Then the war started going badly, right? The yes. bombs dropped on Baghdad, and then the movement went out of the streets, and then the war started going badly, and then there was an even bigger movement. And people of this country turned against the war in a couple of years. I mean, like yeah. when things happen like that, when things happen like that, and there are those of us who are stick our necks out and say, no, this isn't right, and get as many people as possible to build a movement in the streets and to, to build up our organizations, it is possible then for the people's consciousness to come over into the right direction. Because wh whose interest was the war in Iraq in? I mean, you know, like the people who, stu students and poor people in the United States, working people? Like that's, in, in my yeah. frame of reference, that's how consciousness can actually very change in a very massive way in a relatively short period of time. I mean, also just think about Venezuela. I mean, Chavez won the election, they tried to overthrow him and the people poured out on the streets and said no. And this is before, this is like before, you know, there was only promise, you know, mostly promises out of the government. Do you know what I mean? There was a hope for change. So people can completely rally and change their point of view millions of them almost overnight and it happens all the time but it just doesn't happen all the time you know what i mean so like we're standing here i'm standing here in the united states where there's none of that going on right now i'm um, saying that the conditions are such the possibility of the people arising and the organization exists to be able to transform that into into something that that people really need um anyway there was a lot there i I think we are kind of running out of time, but I do not want to make, I don't necessarily want to make the last comment in this interview unless that is something that you uh, no. want me to do. No. Yes, yes. Let me, let me tell you what I expect for 2020 for Venezuela at least. I mean, Excellent. I believe that uh, in, economic, uh, in an economic perspective, I see 2020 like uh, a year in which we might grow because we, uh, economically talking, we have been going down the drain for like five years. So uh, a lot of analysts said that at least in 2020, there are big expectations for growing in the Venezuelan economy. And I believe that the petro uh, cryptocurrency alternative is starting to show signs of real impact in Venezuela and that's something important. I believe that in 2020 we're gonna be we're gonna start seeing an strengthening in the uses of petrol like an alternative to battle the economic warfare as we call it. Uh, in political terms this January is gonna be very messy because the political opposition here in Venezuela is fragmented. And we, I, if you ask me, I really feel at this point, we are just one week ahead of the election of the president of the National Assembly that is going to happen on January 5th. And if you ask me, I still do not know exactly if Juan Guaido is going to be reelected. And that's a big issue, if you ask me. 
And from the other side, we have this uh, negotiation uh, national table with uh, some parties of the opposition in order to try to select the new authorities for the Electoral Council, because next year we are going to have uh, parliamentary elections because that's mandated in the Constitution. So it's going to be a busy year. The opposition is like, if you ask me, in the corner uh, right now because they ha they have to deal with how to keep working in the regime change operation that has been ordered to them by Washington. But at the same time, they have to deal with how they manage to doing that run for a parliamentary election and winning the same uh, the, the same amount of seats that they have right now. And if you ask me, I believe that that's going to be very difficult for them, especially if you take into account why, what they have achieved in 2019. So I just want to add that to finish, and I want to thank you again for inviting me to talk with you. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I want to invite everyone to visit orinocotribune.com, which is our website, of course. Well, Jesus, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you found the conversation with Jesus as wonderful as I did. Visit us at mass-action.org. Like us on Facebook. That's Mass Action. Share us on Facebook as well. Until next time, keep your heads up. Bye.